this is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Welcome back to True Consequences. I'm your host, Eric Carter Londine. Today, I speak with Dennis Fluitt. Dennis is the brother of Don Fluitt, and Don was brutally murdered by his ex-wife's husband, Terry White. This case did get a lot of national attention. In fact, it was on Dateline as well as the Investigation Discovery Channel. Something that these two programs did not cover was the fact that this murder was orchestrated by Don's ex-wife, Christine Terry is currently serving a life sentence in the state penitentiary in New Mexico. Christine, however, has yet to face justice for her crimes. Dennis reached out to me to see if he could share his story on True Consequences. His goal is really to get the word out about the fact that Christine still has not been brought to justice for what she's done. We'll get to the story in a minute, but first, a couple of updates. I want to thank... Greggy, and Stephanie for being my latest Patreon supporters. Your support means so much. Without the support of my listeners, I don't think I could continue making this show. So thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. If you're interested in supporting this one-man show, please go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. We have donation levels as low as $1 a month. If you're unable to contribute financially... Recommending this podcast to your friends goes a long way as well. A simple share on social media or a shout out would really help this podcast continue to provide content for you. If you're not already following True Consequences on social media, you can find me at True Consequences Pod on Instagram and Facebook and True Cons Pod on Twitter. Okay, so as we get into this story here, Dennis starts talking about how this all began. It was right after Christmas, and Don and his daughter, Sienna, were coming back from visiting Don's mother in Palm Springs for Christmas. Let's listen as Dennis shares the story of his brother's murder. So the plan was, when they got back to Albuquerque, Sienna would go with her mom to have their Christmas. They got back on the 28th of December. You know, they just drove 15 hours, 16 hours. It was a long road trip. So they had all the presents and stuff in the truck. And so they unloaded everything. And as they were doing that, something seemed amiss inside the house, you know, and they knew it. The dog was acting really weird. My brother was a neat freak. And on the, on the stove was a cast iron skillet with grease in it. Don's like, we didn't leave this like this. Felt like somebody had been in the house. You know, and the way Buddy was acting, his dog seemed like something was definitely wrong. And so they continued on, you know, they had to get her in and, and then they think they needed something at Walmart. And so they went over to that Walmart that's right there on Coors and I-40. Um, it was just down the street from their house and they got whatever and came back and it was go, go, go. You know, I mean, they, so they got everything put away and did what they had to do. And then, you know, now they're making arrangements for Don to bring Sienna to Christine, and they always met at the Dion's at Montano and Coors. 
So that's where they went. Don drove up and this is getting late in the afternoon. I think about it. It's the end of December. So it gets dark pretty early and it's cold. And, and, um, so we got her up there and, you know, we watched a video from the next door neighbor's camera and, um, you know, you saw when Don left with, with Sienna and you saw when he pulled back. So he dropped, he dropped Sienna off with Christine. Everything was normal. There wasn't any fighting. There wasn't any, you know, business as usual. And he got back to the house. And when he got back, he noticed his trash can was laying on its side in, in the street. And they knew, they knew that Don wouldn't just leave a trash can laying down like that. So, you know, now if you look at Don's condo, he lived in the middle one out of three. One big building, three condos attached. And um, the one on the right was vacant. It had newspapers covering the windows. You could tell it was vacant. This one, you can tell it was obvious it was vacant. They didn't even have the porch light on. And it was the perfect scenario because it was this dark little corner the trash cans were on that person or that vacant unit's um, patio and it was dark. So he knew that he can hide right there. And when Don pulled in the garage, he, he, it, it, his plan worked out perfect. I mean, you got, I mean, I, I'm not to say give the guy credit, but he planned it. He'd probably been in that house several times while they were in California because he knew he could. Probably had it completely planned. And as soon as Don's back was turned, he walked out to the street. Plan was to was to sneak into the garage. That didn't happen. He didn't have enough time. All right. So by, by the time Don picked up the dump, the trash can to bring it back up, the the plan was almost foiled. Right. All right. Because he he lost his opportunity, but he was bound and determined. So now his his only other opportunity was Don went in the garage and hit the button for the garage door opener. His only opportunity is to run around and slide under there. And as you already know, when he did that, the sensor, it caught the sensor. And now you've got blinking lights in the garage. And, and I'll bet you, I mean, and now I'll bet Don was like, what the fuck, man? You know, and he, I don't know if Don went all the way back down to see if there was something blocking it, but he probably, like any of us would have done, he probably just tried it again and it went and didn't think anything of it. Never thought anything of it. Now you got a dude hiding under your truck. My brother's a, a closet smoker. And if he wasn't, he would have probably never went out back out to that garage. You know, now who's to say that he wouldn't have locked that door that leads into the house or not? You know, some people do, some people don't. But had my brother not been a closet smoker, he'd probably still be alive today because he wouldn't have had a reason to go out to that garage. What did he do? He went out to the garage. That's why he was in brand new clean white socks. Mm -hmm. Went out there to smoke a cigarette. And that was when Terry ambushed him. Hit him as hard as he could with bat or a piece of wood or whatever it was and busted it over my brother's head. And, but he had no idea, you know, he, I mean, he was just unsuspecting, just wanted to, I mean, he just had a fucking 20 hour day and all he wanted to do was smoke a cigarette and probably go to bed. That was it. You know, and if the bat wasn't enough, you know, he did, he stabbed my brother in the eye and slit his throat. You know, and my brother is a tough son of a bitch, you know, but I mean, the whole time, I mean, what the, the hitting him in the head alone should have killed him, you know, but my brother fought back anyway. And thank God he did, because that's how he got the DNA under his fingernails. So he really solved his own murder, but it was just too much for him to handle. And then once, once the fucker cut his throat, then that was it. Obviously, we know now Terry was the the one who executed the plan. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, and I know 
you believe strongly that Christine was involved in this, and I think most people would probably put those two pieces together right, just by right. listening to the story. But what do you feel? You shared some of it with her behavior. Well, her behavior was, I mean, she was always a nervous, kind of sketchy, twitchy individual, Um, you know, and there was just ways that she was acting that were so bizarre. There was an incident that came later that convinced me. Two incidents, she was freaking out. She said that that they, they caught a person putting something under her car. And that when they looked, they tried to chase the guy and he ran and got away. And when they looked under the car, it was this big black box with a blinking red light. You know, it sounded like something from Get Smart. You know, the GPSs are small. You don't need no big giant blinking light in it. And then she was like, and I talked to my lawyer. I brought it to him and he told me just to throw it in the trash. Bullshit. What lawyer would tell you to put a tracking device in the trash can i mean come on but she got so paranoid dude i mean i guess when you kill somebody and you know you've done it and and it's starting to unravel you know you lose your mind a little bit dude she had me go to her house and search every inch looking for wiretaps and and listening devices and i mean i'm standing on her bed looking on her ceiling fans and and this was after terry was already locked up Trial hadn't all that stuff hadn't started yet, you know, far from it. Her behavior just, I remember, I remember like after that happened a day or two later, I was talking to one of my brother's um, co-workers and they had this thing at the convention center. It was like a dance recital, you know, and all these little kids and stuff. And, and so Christine went to this thing because Sienna wanted to go to it. And so they went backstage and Christine started freaking out. They're following me. They're following me. You got to imagine. Now think about like a dance recital for little seven-year-old girls, right? Ten-year-old girls, whatever it was. And all the moms in the back putting on their makeup. Christine loses her shit in this room full of kids and moms. And they're following me. I know they're following me. And she ended up in the fetal position under like a table. They're following me. And everybody's like, what the hell is going on here? Anyway, the third incident was a few days later, I was helping my son check his oil in his car and, and I get a call from Christine and she is losing her mind. Dennis, I know what's going on. They're after me. They're after me. And I mean, it was so loud and, and it, it, she wasn't even making sense. It wasn't even coherent. And I finally got her to tell me where she was. Calm down, calm down. I went and I met her. At the, do you know where that? There's like a, a brewer brew pub on the northeast corner of Lomas and San Mateo. And it, I see her sitting at a table. So I go over there and I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, what's going on? What you, what the, I swear to God, I think they're following me and they're tapping everything. And I mean, she's losing her fucking mind. I'm like, you got to calm down. You got to calm down. And I said, you know, go wash your face off. Get, you know, just take a deep breath. And she went into the bathroom and the waitress came over to me and she was like, are you her husband? I said, no, no. And she goes, I said, why? And she goes, because she was just in here losing her shit. And the waitress is telling me this within seconds of me talking to her. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, she fucking did it. She fucking, everything changed at that point. Even when she came back and sat down and tried to tell me everything, I, I she had to have noticed me looking at her in a whole different way. I was like, fucking bitch did it. She did it. 
Terry Coke inspired, she did it. But that's what happens. Guilt. Yeah. Guilt takes over and just, you can't think straight. Everybody's following you. Of course you're going to think. If I killed killed somebody, I'm always going to think. I mean, it's just a natural response for any person that's a rationally, somewhat rationally coherent thinking individual. And that's the whole point of doing this because everybody knows the story. Everybody knows I didn't do it. Everybody knows that it wasn't the maintenance guy or the fucking coworker. Everybody knows who did it. Mm-hmm. Even the district attorney knows that Christine planned the whole thing. I mean, it's been discussed many times. And so that's where we're at. That's where, I mean, we're, what I want is them to take the same approach in their investigative efforts to put a case together and convict her. That's what has to happen. It just made sense. It made sense that she did it. They had a, you know, they had a, a court hearing coming up and they were worried that they were going to have to pay more in child support, you know? And in fact, the day after Don was killed, she literally went down to the courthouse to um, say, Hey, we're not going to, be having this court hearing because you know my ex-husband's dead now they found all of it really peculiar there's a lot there's i mean that was the next day yeah you got to have some balls or you're that stupid but she went down there to cancel the case because you know she had never responded as a respondent she never responded until then to say hey i guess this isn't going to happen now because he's dead and that was that was a big thing with the police because they were like, "Why would you do that?" Well, I mean, it was weird, dude. You know, they they did some things that were, you know, incredibly questionable. You know, and and let's take Ron White's testimony. Um, you know, I hate I hate calling him a jailhouse snitch. I mean, I know that that's the the terminology that mo- um, we'll, we'll call him the the jailhouse informant. How's that? When all that information came to us, mm-hmm. the, there was no doubt at that point. I mean, look, dude, Ron White got out of jail and met with her. And as a as a show of good faith that, that she wasn't going to turn on him or whatever, she even gave him her wedding ring to hold. All right. She she gave him the money to buy the drugs that Terry was going to use to kill himself. They had it. They had a when I say a suicide pact, it was a one sided suicide pact. Terry, Terry had promised her that if he got caught, I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, how, you know, you got to be able to manipulate somebody pretty damn well to convince that person not only to kill somebody. Okay, fine. I, I can accept. So that wasn't so far fetched. But then to convince him to kill himself if it looked like he was going to get caught. I mean, that's just amazing to me. Think about that for a second. Do you love True Consequences? Would you love to show your support in public? Hey, it's me, Eric Carter-Landin, your host. And we've got some awesome merchandise available for sale. If you go to trueconsequences.com, click on the merchandise tab, you can find some awesome shirts, mugs, all kinds of cool things, including an originally designed La Llorona t-shirt designed by me. Check it out, trueconsequences.com. Click on merchandise, and you can have your very own True Consequences swag. Okay, Terry, if you get caught, you promise you'll kill yourself. I swear I will, babe. I mean, that, and that's how bad it was. When they found Terry, 
April 1st, 2017, April Fool's Day. Dude, he had a hose going from his exhaust pipe into the cab of his truck. If that cop wouldn't have gotten there when he did, Terry would have carried out his 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 suicide pact. When they got him out of there, he was already he was already three quarters of the way gone. He's fucked up. You should look at his picture. You can tell that he had, I mean, he, but then he tried to kill himself two more times after he was incarcerated and he failed. And this is what a loser the guy is. He tried to kill himself three times and he, and he failed miserably all three times, but that was their deal. It's their deal. Ron was going to get those pills, put them where the sun doesn't shine and bring them back into jail. He was just going to, all he was going to do was just violate parole and they would have brought him back over to the jail. That's what he was going to do. That was the plan. Terry was going to take those pills. And at one point, there was either Terry had told Ron this or it was on it was on the jailhouse phone call recordings. But but Christine was furious with Terry that he was still alive. She was like, you promised me. And he was like, babe, I'm going to do it. I just haven't done it yet. I said, calm down. I'll take I'll do it. Think about that, dude. I mean, think about that. He's, I mean, he's like, I'm going to do it. I will. I promise. And she's mad because he hasn't killed himself. I mean, what guy in his right mind wouldn't be like, fuck you. And do that though. But she became his only source for money to put on his books. And, and the hope that they'll be together one day. I love you. And I love you. And she would, you know, that was about the only phone calls he was getting was from her. So when he found out, I mean, this is way down the road, but when he found out that, that she was filing for divorce, you know, that, that was it. So she used him. She used him. I mean, and that's what the, put it this way. She wanted both. Okay, wait, let me, I'm going to back up. I'm going to sure, back myself sure, up. Sure. They got divorced. Terry and Christine were divorced. He wanted her back. So he was her ex-husband at the time. Right. Well, at, not at the time of the murder because he'd been trying to get her back for some time. And so she finally said, all right, I'll remarry you if you take care of the dark cloud. That's what they referred to my brother as, the dark cloud. And so he said, I'll do it. As long as, I can be, as, long as you and I can be together. So she took him back and they got married. And then they started putting their plan in place. Well, the reason she wanted him back was she knew that he was, at that point, Don was a dead man. So they got married and they started getting their plan together. But the, the, the truth is, is that she didn't want either one of them. She wanted to be done with both of them. And she knew she can kill two birds with one stone. You know, she probably even considered the fact that they were going to look at her and there was a chance that, you know, I mean, but, you know, if there wasn't any real evidence against her, I mean, she wasn't stupid. All right. Still not. Because now she's, with some other dude, as far as I know, I mean, I don't know if they're still together, but that's why she divorced Terry and cut him off completely. And so when he figured out, I mean, it was like, <laughs> dude, it was like the last, he he was literally the last person to know that he got played. Everybody else knew, everybody else knew, like, they, she used you, man, sucker. No, no, we love each other. I mean, it was the classic denial and he found out he spilled the beans man finally got a hold of the district attorney's office said i want to talk and at this point it's too late you know you ain't getting no plea bargain i even told i even told the district attorney's office you know let him let him testify against her now i'm even willing to knock a few years off that guy's sentence if, if you guys allow him to testify because there's the source right there go to the source 
He'll tell the story. He doesn't need to lie. He's he's a man scorned. Yeah, and he's already going to be in prison anyway. Right. You have nothing to lose at this point, so why don't you listen to what he has to say? And that is why I think, better yet, that is why I feel like it's not going to be long until they, they decide to pick her up. I mean, listen, man, the authorities in Oregon didn't just make a decision to go to Siena school and interview her. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, the, their district attorney's office is in contact with Bernalillo County's district attorney's office. And, you know, they share information and that's how the police got involved to go interview my niece was because of that, you know, and it's pretty compelling when the police ask her, Hey, are you in, you know, how do you feel about your home life? And when an 11, 12 year old says, I think my mom's going to kill me while I'm sleeping. What does that say? You know, they didn't, they didn't hesitate, dude. They took her out of that house immediately, put her in foster care. Now it's been months now, six months, five months, something like that. So is there anything else that you want to see besides Christine Payne for what she did? I mean, is that, is that the end goal for you? No, I mean, it's definitely a, a goal, obviously. Right. My end goal is to is to get Sienna in any kind of programs because it's going to take years of therapy. You know, this isn't a six-month, oh, I'll be fine. I mean, this is going to take, in order for that kid to have a, a, a somewhat normal, productive life for the rest of her life, she needs hardcore therapy, you know, and and that has to happen. I mean, otherwise she's she's going to have, she's going to be jacked up for the rest of her life. I mean, yeah, it's a lot, for- you know, and she knows the details of her dad's death, you know, and, and it, it wasn't my choice to tell her. I didn't want her to know all the, all the gory details. Listen, man, you know, that the, the case was a high pro- profile case. And, and I know that Dateline NBC talked about it. And, and maybe the discovery did too, but they made a big deal of me. Oh, he's staying in his brother's house. It's like, he's taking over his life. No, man, all my brother's belongings were in there and it was, everybody knew that that house would be empty. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to, I mean, we live in Albuquerque. That house would have been broken into the very first night. I hated staying there. (laughs) You know that they didn't even, they didn't even release that as a crime scene for two weeks in. So I'm staying in my brother's house with all that blood on the floor in the garage and all over the walls. And, and I hated staying there, but I knew, I knew that his house would be vulnerable if I, if I didn't stay there, I had no choice, you know? And so you heard a bunch of stupid shit, but the fact was I wasn't going to leave my brother's house vulnerable like that. I was going to inventory everything I did too. I didn't I didn't just inventory everything. I had labels made up of every single thing that was in every single box. And, and I was methodical about how I was going to pack his stuff. Um, the third week in they, they finally released it as a crime scene. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt like it was, was my, my duty as his brother. I went out there and cleaned up my family blood off that floor and, and, uh, <laughs> That that was hard, you know. I mean, because you don't need to be, you don't need to be Dexter to to look at the blood splatter and the and the handprints and and the amount of blood to know that that what the struggle was in there, you know. So the entire time I'm cleaning up that that crime scene, it was almost like 
I can see it in my head happening. You know, it was a very difficult moment. And then after I finally got everything cleaned up was when I can start focusing my attention on like packing the garage and getting everything else completed. So it did. It took me, it took me about a month to get everything done. And I think that, you know, it's funny when I look back at Dateline, when I look back at what they did and how they, you know, tried to make me the, you know, the, the real suspect, <laughs> when I take a look back. I think the only thing that really pissed me off about all of it was, you know, if you've never cleaned up a family member's blood after they've been murdered and you're still going to throw me under, you're still going to like drag me through the mud and make me your, your prime suspect right. in your, in your little documentary. I think it, it was below the belt to me and it just felt wrong. You know, other than that, I even told him, I said, look, I don't blame you for doing what you did. I mean, I mean, I'm the only real interest that that story would bring to begin with. I mean, you know, I mean, come on. How many times does a ex-wife's husband go kill? You know, I mean, so I got it. But it made me mad because they, you know, it, they couldn't put themselves in in the in my shoes. Well, they, no, they weren't up front. They already they already knew their agenda. You know, I was. You know, anything else you want to say about the case before we wrap up? Um, I don't know if her last name is still. Maybe she kept it. Maybe she didn't. I doubt that she did. Um, and for whatever reason, I can't think of her maiden maiden name, Christine. Anyway, the bottom line is, is Christine planned it. She executed it. She's even more guilty than he is. You know, there's no doubt about it. This woman, this woman planned the whole thing and she basically executed my brother and she should be held responsible. I won't be happy. You know, I hate when somebody uses that term. I'll be happy when they're, when they're convicted and sent away. I won't be happy. I'll be, I'll be satisfied. Absolutely. She's the mastermind behind the whole thing. And I hate using that term, but they did. They, they, they literally tried to plan this thing out with, with, with total precision. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like she knew exactly what she was doing. Mm -hmm. yep. She was very obviously malicious in manipulating Terry. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. And even though her plan didn't work the way she wanted, she still managed to quote unquote get away. Well, you know, they charged her. I saw that they did charge. They her. did. They did charge her. And here's what happened. You only have X amount of time to present your case to the grand jury. All right. And if that time expires, you can, you completely can lose your case. So their plan was to say, okay, we're going to drop the charges because let's face it, murder doesn't have a statute limit limitation. So, so they could charge her another time and then submit it to a grand jury. Right. Because she hasn't been to trial yet. It wouldn't be double jeopardy. Right. So it was smart of them to do it. I mean, I agreed with it. I was like, okay, no, I agree with that, that tactic. But that was over two years ago now, man. I mean, yeah. you know, let, let's get this ball rolling. I mean, I get why you had to drop the charges, but once you did that, it, it, I mean, it opened the door for her to move to Oregon with my niece, mm -hmm. and that's really the last time I've seen her. So, you know, now I say you take all your evidence, submit it to the grand jury, see if you can get an indictment. If you can, go for it. You know, you haven't got anything to lose. You know that, that the district attorney came up to me at one point seeking my permission to give him a plea bargain without anything in return. And, and I couldn't believe my ears. I was like, why? Why would you do that? When they were scared that they said, well, what if our evidence gets suppressed and 
at least this way we'll we'll get something. And I told him, I, I remember what I told him. I said, fuck no, you have, you've got a great case and I am not going to let you plea bargain this down. He would have, they, they got it all the way down to 10 years. He would have been out in seven before Sienna was even an adult. Well, at, at Sienna's adulthood, I told him, no way, no way. I'm not going to, and it was all because they were worried that they wouldn't get a conviction. And so I, I, I you know, I like to think that my um, my demand for them not to do that made the difference because yeah. you know, I mean, obviously, listen, man, it, Natalie Stroop was the the prosecuting attorney, and she, I, to this day, I call her a ninja because she went in there and even the defense didn't. <laughs> dude, they had nothing. You should have seen how stupid they looked. I mean, they had nothing. They couldn't. They they wouldn't cross examine. They did. They couldn't do anything. I mean, the the. The defense attorney should have just thrown up his hands and said, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pathetic. And I felt vindicated by, by taking such a, a hard stance about them not plea bargaining it out. You know, yeah. Was it a chance we were taking? Absolutely. I, I think my brother would have been thinking the same thing. I had been the other way around. So he's gone. And, and that's not, that's uh, to me, I'm, that's that's 50%. We're halfway there. We just need the other half. We just need the other half and and I'll be satisfied with that, you well, know, and let's hope that this raises some awareness and maybe gets people talking about it and hopefully puts a little more pressure on. Well, and I do too. I mean, the time has a way of, you know, it, people forget, yeah. you know, and and we all do. We're only human and here December 28th just in another what week and a half, 2 weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's three-year anniversary. You know, I'd like to see something happen. Well, and I think, too, especially here, with the number of homicides that happen in this town, it's, it's to your point earlier before we started recording, you know, things get pushed to the back burner because there's so much piling up right. on the prosecutors uh, in this city in particular. Well, so, you know, they drop over 2,000 cases a year. Mm-hmm. Drop. Done. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks yeah. for sharing right. your story. And, um, if, if anybody has questions or anything, is there any way you want people to reach out to you or? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook okay. you can, you can message me on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks Dennis. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to true consequences. Follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at true consequences pod and on Twitter at true cons pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, New Mexico.